Welcome to AACS Today, the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. Thank you for joining us on AACS Today. I am your host, Matt Tiskis, Regional Director for the Mid-South Region of the AACS, and I'm joined by Jameson Coppola. Jameson is our Director of Government Relations in the Washington office. Jameson, so nice to have you back with us on the podcast today. Well, it's always good to be with you, Matt, and looking forward to updating our folks today on, uh, you know, some newsworthy items, but uh, like the $1.9 trillion spending bill that they've probably heard about uh, recently passed and signed by President Biden, and specifically how um, the provisions in that bill might affect our schools. Yeah, so we want to give you all an update today on some things that are happening uh, in Washington as it relates to some of these spending bills. And Jameson, we have all sorts of letters and alphabet soup floating out there. We have gears, mm-hmm. we have eans, we have PPP, we have all these things happening. So Jameson, help us focus in. You were just referencing the American Recovery Plan. So let's focus in and talk about some of these programs, what it means for our schools. How can we be a help to our administrators today who are hearing all these things going on out there? Yeah, Matt, I thought it'd be good for you and I just to have a conversation today. And and it's kind of like a, a, a almost like a seventh inning stretch report. You know, we're, we're kind of in the middle of uh, the, the spending bill, the COVID recovery bill passed by the House and Senate and signed by President Trump and this most recent bill that uh, you already res- uh, referenced at the American Rescue Plan, the ARP, uh, as it's called. Uh, plan and and to do what you just said, kind of identify some of the terms people are using and hearing uh, to reacquaint our our folks with what they might be seeing on the state and local level, how it'll impact them and their local areas related to the money that the federal government now has by law um, decided should be spent on education, and then of course uh, most. Uh, um, interesting to us, the money specifically set aside for private educators. And so I think let's try to focus our attention then on what's commonly called the EANS, E-A-N-S. It stands for Emergency Assistance to Non-Public Schools. There's really uh, two different, I don't know, they're not really two different programs, Jameson, or two different levels. There's EANS 1 and EANS 2. So let's start with kind of clarifying the difference between those two. Yeah. So EANS 1 and EANS 2 is how most of the people in our line of work are referring to it. And that would be the private school folks here in Washington that are uh, working to understand the provisions of the bill and then communicate to their constituents about it. So EANS 1 was part of, and again, you mentioned it was the emergency assistance to non-public schools, uh, $2.75 billion, $2.75 billion set aside in um, the last, you know, previous, the last Trump is, I guess, how we'll identify it, the last Trump COVID relief bill. And that's probably, if, if our schools are participating in a program right now, that's probably the program they're participating in, EANS 1. And so some of the important numbers on that is, is that it is 2.7 five billion dollars set aside for private schools. It went into another fund established by uh, previous spending bills 
called the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund, or GEAR, another acronym for you. Um, so some interesting things about those is governors actually had to petition to get funding from the federal government. They actually had to say to the federal government, we want specifically the funding set aside for non-public schools. And they had to do that by February 28th. I think the original date might've been February 8th. They extended it to February 28th. And uh, you will recall our last conversation, we encouraged our people, if they thought this would be helpful for their private schools, that they should contact their governor's office and, and tell their governor he should request these funds. Well, the states that requested those funds now have received those funds. And now they're, they're working through the administrative process of how to distribute those funds to the schools that would qualify. Yeah, and these are very state-specific uh, applications. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jamison, before we began recording, we even said um, we thought that the Michigan deadline to apply for EANS 1 funds had already passed. And I was describing yeah. to you that how here in Texas, where I am at, um, the applications are open uh, through May, about May 25th. So it's very state specific. And that's a point that we really want our listeners to understand and to educate themselves on. That's right. Because these funds are distributed from the federal government to the governor's emergency relief fund and then administered by the state education agencies, the state education authorities, there's going to be a patchwork of um, deadlines in the different states for when you can apply. As you mentioned, Michigan's uh, closed yesterday. And as you experience in Texas, yours is still open. And so our encouragement to our people would be if you're interested, if these funds might be a help to a part of your school, um, you have to check and see if there is still an open uh, enrollment period where you could notify your education authorities of your interest in participating. Yeah. And here in Texas, I can speak for that. The schools, the private schools are actually communicating directly just as you said, with the Texas Education Agency or the state education agency, this is not uh, communication that's happening through your local education agency, which is kind of what schools who participate in programs like this might be kind of used to working with. But you are most likely going to go straight to your state education agency to get the application and to participate. Now, Jameson, are there any guidelines or FAQs available on this EANS 1 funding? Yes, there is. In fact, I think the most recent version was updated on March 19th, and that's an FAQ document from the Department of Ed that helps answer a lot of questions that people will have about the program and also gives guidance to the state education authorities on how to administer the program. Some of the highlights that we just wanted to quickly point out to our people is it is important to, to understand, and this is something we fight for all of the time, and that is anybody who participates in this program will not be considered a recipient of federal financial assistance. Um, and that's really important protection for our schools. It protects us from being drawn into um, the argument that uh, religious funding, or I'm sorry, government funding needs to be religiously neutral. It, it, it's the gateway to a lot of ways in which government could be coercive in their requirements for us. So the money, if you participate in these programs is not considered FFA. But there is a caveat. 
you cannot have participated in round two of the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program funds, and participate here in the EANS 1 program and most likely the EANS 2 program, although I don't want to confuse our listeners too much, but that is an important point to make. Am I correct in that? Yeah, we'll contrast EANS 1 and EANS 2 maybe um, when we get to EANS 2, but you are correct. You cannot participate, if you're going to participate in EANS 1 programs, you cannot also participate in the Paycheck Protection Program, and that would be the second round, right? <laughs> so we, we had the first round of Paycheck Protection Program. You could participate in that and also EANS 1, but you cannot participate in both EANS 1 and the Paycheck Protection Program program. Yeah. And there's a, there's a date that I know, like on the Texas application, I want to say the date's like December 20th, 27th or something like that. 2020 is a date they keep calling out. Yeah. I think it's the date that the law was signed by president Trump. And I think it might be, or maybe it's the day before, I think he signed it on December 28th. And so maybe the 27th or the 28th would be that, that deadline where uh, you'd have to, um, not have participated in Paycheck Protection Program. Yeah. And one of the nice things, Jameson, about EANS 1 is that the funds can be used for reimbursement for items all the way back into 2020. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. That is one of the, and again, to contrast that against what we'll talk about in a minute, EANS 2, you cannot use the funds under EANS 2 for reimbursement. But under EANS 1, the current program, and again, most of our people, if they're participating in a program right now, it's probably going to be EANS 1 money. You can get reimbursement for the qualified expenses that you had related to COVID all the way back to March of 2020. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, maybe that's a great segue then to talk about what are some of the other differences between then EANS 1 and EANS 2? Yeah, so in EANS 2, and this again was the money that Congress set aside and the president signed into law um, uh, under the American Rescue Plan. And what they did is they just doubled the funding that had been in EANS 1. So we had $2.75 billion in EANS 1. They doubled it again and said, here's an additional $2.75 billion for EANS 2. And again, that was largely due to the pressure on Senator Schumer. You know, we don't have time to discuss it, but it was an interesting legislative battle uh, kind of behind the scenes because it looked like there would be absolutely zero money in the $1.9 trillion spending plan for private schools. And at at the last minute, Senator Schumer just decided he was going to insert (laughs) a doubling of the EANS 1 program to EANS 2. And I think that's because New York City has a very large constituency of private um, Catholic and private Jewish schools. And I think, you know, my estimation of the legislative work behind the scenes were there was enough political pressure put on him. He had enough authority in the Senate to say, no, this is going to happen. And so as a result of that, we now have this EANS 2 program that um, will apply to or or that that will supply funds that private schools uh, can participate in. But it is a little different than EANS 1. Okay. How does a school determine their level of participation in these programs? So that will be listed on that application, I'm sure, but there's a few ways that they can qualify. Yeah, that's a really important distinction. Under EANS 1, uh, the law stated that states had to, they had to, if they were going to use this money for private schools, they had to prioritize schools 
that had low income students and that had been affected by the COVID emergency. Um, in the second uh, tranche of funds in EANS 2, they added this new provision and it says this, that it's available only for use by schools that enroll a significant percentage of low income students uh, that are most impacted by the COVID emergency. And so the, the, the working out of that is still playing out, right? Um, one of the things that happens after a piece of legislation like this is passed, the, depart the, the departments that, um, that govern the money, you know, the, the buckets of money that get spent have to write regulations, guidance, FAQs. We already mentioned there's FAQs for EANs one, but there aren't FAQs or guidelines for EAN two yet. One of the questions that will have to be answered is, well, how does a state determine if a school has a significant percentage of low income students enrolled in it, right? Because if you don't have that in your school, then you know it's very likely that a state education authority will say, I'm sorry, your school doesn't qualify for that. Yeah. So our schools need to be aware of how that's working in their state. And again, I'm coming back to Texas where I'm at. Schools can go to the Texas Education Agency website and find the application uh, for EANS 1 available up there. And it has all those guidelines listed. Yeah. And we made it a very simple process here in Texas. Hopefully, it's that way in your state. The bottom line is, though, connect with your state education authority. Now, Jameson, some states are actually still even distributing ESSER funds from what we're hearing. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, but before we get to that, let me say something to, to the previous point about okay. the, the guidelines. So if you look at the, we'll have the link to the current FAQs for EANS 1. Yes. If you look at question C11, it is the guidance that the Department of Ed gives to states to determine low income questions, right? And so okay. I, I'm going to read a few bits of that uh, scrolling down here to um, to kind of give an idea. You know, they say things like if a school participates in free or reduced lunch plan, the data from that program can be used to determine low income. Um, if your school gives financial assistance or scholarships and, and your data internally identifies families that don't, um, their, their income doesn't exceed 185% of the federal poverty guidelines, then that can be used as a criteria. Um, E-rate data, which I think most of our schools are not going to participate in. And, and by the way, most are not going to participate in free lunch either, because there's some indication that those can be considered F, uh, federal financial assistance. Right. But, but the, the bottom line is there's the, uh, under C-11, it gives some idea of how the state will go about determining if your school does indeed have a significant percentage of uh, the student body being low, qualifying low, as low income students. So familiarize yourself with that, um, with that uh, data on the current guidelines. And if you have the desire or, the, or, the, or you want to contact your state education agency and say, um, whatever influence you have at the Department of Ed, tell them that these guidelines um, should be written in such a way that makes it easy for private schools to identify low-income students. Matt, you know as well as I do, being involved in education, uh, Christian education for as long as we do, we don't ask for a lot of information like that from our families. And so sometimes um, uh, uh, our schools can be kept out of a program like that just because a regulation is written in such a way that it makes it hard for us to even identify the answers 
to those types of questions. And so as it relates to EANS 1 and EANS 2, these criteria on how your state education agency will identify if your school is really serving a low-income population is really important. Yeah, and again, I'm sorry to keep referencing Texas, but we've, no, been, bl- yeah. we've been blessed here. Uh, the folks in the TEA have been very helpful uh, with uh, associations here. And so uh, we've actually been able to preview the application before it's been sent out to, to our private schools, all private schools, including our Christian schools. So that's just been helpful because we've been able to speak into the process, yeah. try to help the TEA um, understand the language and the lingo that our schools would and would not understand. Because Jameson, I don't know about, about you, but when you're living in the world of all these acronyms that are used all the time, and this is just, this is what's in kind of the public school world, even something as simple as PNP, private nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not an acronym that we're used to calling our schools, but that's how we're thought of by folks on the pub ed side. Right. So um, it's just been so helpful to work with our state education agency. And that's why it's so important to have those relationships. Yeah. To your point uh, here in Washington, DC, the message that we're trying to communicate to the department of ed is when you write the regulations for EANs, EANs two, use the same criteria, let states use the same criteria they've already established for right. EANs one. Don't rewrite, change the rules. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't rewrite the standard by which this was measured. And by the way, the, the chief state school, you know, the chief state um, school superintendents association is in favor of that too. In other words, they don't want to have an administrative burden placed on them that is different than the EANs one, the EANs one programs. So there's a lot of pressure right now to say, listen, EANs one, EANs one worked fairly well. Let's not rewrite, you know, recreate the wheel, reinvent the wheel or recreate a, another program that's significantly different. And so we're hopeful that the regulations for EANS 2 will be still favorable to private schools to participate and not too difficult. You mentioned something earlier, though, and one of the things that is definitely going to apply is that you will not be able to use EANS 2 money for reimbursements. Right. It is only going to be for current expenditures uh, in your school. And it's going to be a list of things, you know, necessary for the safe operation of your school, portable air purification, uh, I think custodial services to clean the building, plexiglass dividers, gloves, uh, hand sanitizer, those sorts of things. And those are listed out in the, in the guidelines about what sort of qualifying expenses um, come under it, but reimbursements will not be allowed under EANS 2. Yeah. So I know, again, Texas, there was about $153 million available for Texas private schools. Texas, obviously a little bit of a larger state. So just to give you an idea though, there's a lot of money out there. And Jamison, we never want to necessarily advise our schools to participate in these programs. We just want them to have the information so that they can make a decision that is best for their ministry. So it's not that we're telling you to do this or not to do this. We're just telling you this is what's out there. And the piece that's helpful, I think, in this is that you're not considered a recipient of federal financial assistance. And so that's a big, important piece for our schools to kind of be able to sink their teeth into if they want to participate and feel a little bit better about it. Yeah, we can't emphasize that enough. Our role here is to protect our schools from government overreach. And when a program is created that inevitably 
will bring private schools into some sort of government program. Our job is to give you the most protection possible. It's never to encourage you to participate. It's to protect you should you choose to participate. And then, you know, to, to explain it as well as we can so that you can make an informed decision about whether or not to participate. Good, okay. good point. Yeah. So I mentioned uh, earlier, so let's come back to the ESSER funds now. Some states are still distributing uh, some ESSER funds. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to share with our listeners about that that might be helpful for them as they consider what's happening with ESSER funds? Yeah. I think the big thing is, is just being clear um, and getting clarity from your state and local education officials, which program am I participating in? Yes. Because there are so many guidelines that apply differently that it's really important that you um, are sure yourself, you're clear yourself about which program you're participating in and where the 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 funds are coming from, what program they're coming through. I mean, we were we I just did a quick list. You know, there was the CARES Act one and two. There was the government emergency education relief fund uh, that had a K through 12 component. Um, each state would decide how to use that. You remember, I think Florida and South Carolina tried to create scholarship programs. They got sued right. for that. There was ESSER one and two, and there was a big dispute about, you know, how the calculation would be made about how much private money could be allocated to private schools and, and how much money to public schools based on a title one calculation. We've even had education stabilization funds and we've had FEMA public assistance that our schools would qualify for and uh, the child care development block grant. So there are, there's bil- literally billions of dollars floating around in the education world that potentially um, our, our schools could qualify for participation. And so if you're going to uh, enter into this world, make sure you know which, uh, which program you're taking part in and what the provisions and guidelines are for each one. And if you're dealing with your local education agency, so a local school district, chances are you're not dealing with an EANS program because, yeah. again, that's going to come more from the state education. That'd be an easy rule of thumb to follow. If, it, if you're dealing with your state education authority, then it's EANS fund. If you're dealing with an LEA, it's going to be one of the others. Yeah, so that might be, that might be, might be helpful. Well, Jameson, as we kind of wrap up, um, what happens, though, to this EANS money if it's not used, right? So let's say Texas gets 153 million and let's say 100 million of it's used, 53 million of it is not. What are, what yeah. are some things that could happen? Yeah, well, you know, there's already some news stories floating around and, and this is something that's kind of on the periphery of this discussion. But there is a, a lot of money and, and I'm even talking about a lot of money, not in millions, but billions of dollars. You know, when you start talking about billions of dollars, even the federal government <laughs> starts to take notice. Um, but, but what's happening is there's a lot of money in the states. In fact, states haven't finished spending many of the allocations they've gotten from the federal government all the way back to the original funding. There, there's a lot of money. One of the news stories that I think our folks should be paying attention to is that there are some governors now saying, I have some discretionary funds. Oh, by the way, um, one thing we didn't mention that we should is that the EANs one in two money, the EANs one in two money, if it's not spent on private schools within six months, it reverts back to the control of the governors right. under the government or the governor's education um, uh, relief funds. Um, 
And so governors are, are starting to be asked, hey, what are you going to do with all this education money? And an answer that keeps popping up, it's, it's a bit of a subtlety, but I keep hearing it in different contexts. They're saying, listen, I'm going to do something in early childhood education. And I just want to put it out there for consideration and maybe for our people to pay attention to this and start maybe engaging on this early. Because if governors institute programs for early childhood education that are funded with the surplus of education dollars, it could have an impact on early child education for their state. Um, one of the great privileges we have as Christian ministry is looking after children and uh, you, looking after children whose moms and dads have to work full time. And, and, and one of the agendas of the progressive left is to make early childhood education free, or at least reduced to the point where the cost is an insignificant amount for a family. Well, there's now a lot of money floating around the education world, and there's some governors that are starting to say, I think I have a plan for this surplus education money, and they're starting to talk about early childhood education programs. And so I think our people should be aware of that. They should be attentive to it. They, sh they should consider what a new program in their state funded by federal dollars for early childhood education might mean politically and economically. Yeah, for sure. So just something we wanted to bring to your attention to help you be aware of that. Well, we, we covered a lot in a short amount of time. And there is, you know, perhaps if you don't live in this world, there's, there's, there might be some confusion. So I hope we brought some clarity uh, to these different programs, specifically the EANS 1 and EANS 2 programs. Um, get in touch with uh, your state leadership with AACS because there's a good chance they're going to be connected to what's happening at a state level. Get in touch with your state education agency, ask questions, uh, look for ways to be involved, if, if, at least research it so you're aware of what's happening. And, and again, that's what we want to encourage you to do. Jameson, as we uh, close this episode, anything else you want to add? No, uh, as always, it's a privilege to serve our schools. Uh, our office is always eager to hear from you. If there are things that we can do or things that you feel like we need to be aware of, please uh, contact us and let us know how we can continue to serve your school. It's a privilege. It's a great privilege to do what we do here in D.C. Um, to protect the autonomy and the educational and religious distinctives of our schools. So thanks for this opportunity to come on to the podcast and uh, update our folks on some of these uh, uh, federal programs that will filter down into the states. Yeah, for sure. And I know that there are some other pressing legislative issues happening right now. And I suspect it's been a little while since we recorded our podcast, our, our podcast. I suspect our listeners will be hearing uh, from both Jameson and I in the very near future on some other legislative issues as well. So we look forward to those discussions, but we hope you have a wonderful day. God bless each and every one of you. And thank you for the good work you're doing in Christian education.